All right, tonight we're going to talk on points of contact. There's people that literally are at the point of saying, I don't know if it's God's will to heal or if it's God's will to heal every time. And so the first one is, I believe God could heal, but I just don't know if he would heal. And it's kind of the sovereignty of God issue of he could, but he won't. That's factored in at some point of saying, well, he could. Someone once said, God would rather us doubt his ability to heal than his willingness. Especially you have to look at it in that regards if you're talking about the compassion of God. Because in the life of Jesus and when he came to earth and he started demonstrating God's ability to heal, you're very definitely seeing the compassion of God. You never ever saw a lacking of willingness to do it. You never saw the compassion of God. And in some of those cases, I would have said, are you going to do anything productive with your life? Are you going to quit sinning? I mean, this is generational. <laughs> At some point, you would think that he would have been a little bit more um, discriminating. He seemed to pull faith out of people, and he healed them. So somehow, I've watched the theology of healing develop over the years since Jesus, and it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot since the way that Christ actually showed what he wanted done with healing. So you've got this first category, and I would say by far, it seems like most Christians live in this first category of saying that they doubt that God could do it, but they doubt that he always will do it. He could, but uh, would he? But tonight, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach since you know, I really can't name one time that Jesus actually refused to heal anybody. I mean, he did challenge them. He did pull faith out of them. I mean, it's the typical Jesus of someone standing before him with um, eyes that can't see. And he goes, uh, what would you like? You know, you're just like. But, it, I mean, he did ask for um, a faith on their part. But apart from that aspect of it, Jesus, you know, he seemed to demonstrate healing as, well, what's easier, forgiving sins or healing? He seemed to make healing just a normal part of what he did. Every single day he would heal, and he just would heal in mass quantities. But I want to say this for those who do believe in healing, and we're going to take that standpoint tonight that you already believe it's God's will to heal. Let me just say this. Healing is not automatic for the Christian. It's not automatic. It doesn't happen automatically. Just because you believe it's God's will to do it or his willingness it's not an automatic thing. Oh, you become a Christian, so therefore you have healing. And I think a lot of people go to churches that believe in healing, and they tend to have the worst problems receiving healing because they think just because they happen to believe the doctrine, it's going to happen to them. Now, you could take this in a hundred different directions to describe why that happens. But tonight I'm going to talk on one that I find personally the most challenging for my faith. This one is the one that is the hardest for me to have courage on and also to hear God's voice. So I'm going to take it from the standpoint that I believe it's God's willingness, but this is one of the reasons I think that it doesn't work every single time for it. All right, so this is for those who believe that God could heal and they find it not working. You know, okay, I believe that God wants me healed, but I'm just sick, so what do I do about it? Or I believe God could heal, but how can I get it? You know, in other words, if Jesus was still walking around on earth right now healing, I would go to where he was having a healing campaign. That's how I would get my healing. I would just show up where Jesus was having his crusade, and I would get my healing. Isn't it a little bit more of a challenge now that we believe in healing, and you can't find a physical location or presence of Jesus performing healing? So he's not here on earth in a visible, physical sense. So how do you bring heaven down? How do you bring healing down? How do you bring the presence of God down? Just because you have a need doesn't make you get healed. It takes faith 
So, okay, I have faith. How does it happen? So I'm going to give you the best analogy in what I think is the biggest failure in the church, and I call it point of contact. Now, let's do it for instance. If I came in tonight and I said, turn on that light, and the light didn't come on, what would happen if you saw me fall on the floor and start kicking and screaming and yelling and saying, oh my gosh, TXU or T, what is it, TXU, TU? If they've run out of power, there's no more power, <laughs> there's no ability to have light. Y'all would think I had lost my mind. I think that's why we react when we don't get healed. Where's God? <laughs> there's no power. TXU has gone out of business. You know, it's just, it didn't come on, you know, and here I am needing light and there's no light. So I think in a lot of ways we react that way. What would a normal person do? We would check the breaker. Yeah, we'd check the breaker, which. Make sure you paid your bill. That'd be the first thing. Make sure we. Yeah. Uh, you can tell this is a young married couple. Make sure you paid your bill. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So check on the bill. Check the wiring. Make sure the light bulb's good. There would be some things that we would normally do before we would just assume TXU got bombed today and blew up, and there was no more TXU. But somehow we don't take that kind of concept with God of saying TXU is willing for the light to come on. We're willing to receive the light, but sometimes there's something wrong in the connection. And I think that's the best analogy I can use in my brain when healing doesn't happen. I don't freak out about God. I don't sit there and think, well, possibly, you know, I'm going to blame the person either receiving the healing or blame, you know. I'm going to take some responsibilities and see if there's something in the pipeline, see if there's something in the wiring, see what's happening at that point. And that's what you're going to find in healing. Because, y'all, you can all day long tell a person your sins are forgiven or you've just been born again. And there's nothing to prove it one way or the other. So everybody's content with invisible miracles. When it comes to healing, you can't cheat on it. <laughs> there is no way to get around it. If they're not healed, they're not healed. You're staring at the problem. So I think that's why we just go, healing passed away. It's just easier to think about it in past tense. Instead of, I am the Lord, your healer. I was the Lord, your healer. And we'll just, you know, shove that back into um, history now, let me be fair on this. One of the challenges to healing, especially if it's just you and God trying to get a healing, is when you got nasty boils all over your body and you're scraping them, sometimes you're just not in the mood to get healed. I mean, have you ever been so sick with the flu, you're just like, I would rather go to bed, cover up my head, uh -huh, and, sleep. and just sleep and just give up. Can you imagine someone fighting a life-threatening disease? So you not only have the problem we're talking about here, you have the emotions that goes with it. You have the physical body that, you know, that is not responding to it. So you have a lot that is, is really putting up obstacle blocks to receiving healing. This is a very practical Bible study because there are times when you flat have the roughest time in the world to get your willingness to receive healing to come. I mean, I get tickled at how easily we're trained at a young age of, I'm sick, Mom, so I can't go to school. I'm sick, so I'm not going to work. You know, last night was classic. I'm allergic to fish. You know, we just were going down the line of, because they have heads and eyes on them, we're allergic. You know, people will use sickness to get what they want. It has nothing to do with believing God for healing or, or standing on it. It is manipulation. I'm going to use sickness so I don't have to do certain things. You know, it was like the girl who they had told her she could never walk, and she would come to my house. I, I forgot what disease she has of... She's very crippled, and we would practice her going up and down the stairs. 
and we would use the name of Jesus and she got a lot of movement. So that was something we were doing, but she looked outside and saw Kathy Sturt mowing our lawn. I was like, hey, look at that. When you get healed, you'll be able to mow our lawn. And she goes, I don't want to be healed. I'm lazy. I like everybody paying attention to me. <laughs> and I was like, wow. okay, we point over there and say, look at them. But y'all, when you're sick, you feel that. You know, you're fighting those. There's that obstacle in the spiritual realm. I think sometimes we make it too spiritual on receiving healing. A lot of times there's just a practical side to it of, well, well. I feel terrible. On top of it, let's just get away from the Lord healing you and miracles. Let's just talk about a GP, a general practitioner, a doctor. We had a, a doctor friend in here. It was our family doctor for years. And doctors are great treating sickness as long as it's yours. But when they get sick, I don't know if y'all have heard this. Doctors are the worst patients in the world. Any of you work around the medical field? Our GP, our medical doctor got sick, and he's about my father's age. So you expect a little more out of him. He was so out of control that the nurses at the hospital, when they put him in the hospital, they had to call his mother. His mother, at my father's age, they had to call his mother to get him calmed down enough to submit to the nurses because he was yelling, pulling everything out. Doctors are terrible patients a lot of times. You know, anyway, I thought you would enjoy that. So this concept here is you're dealing with the fact that Sometimes healing is a challenge. I don't care who you are. You may be in the healing business, and healing is a challenge. We're not talking tonight to the group who says, I don't believe it's God's will to heal, because that's another lesson. That's another day. I mean, that's another whole entity. I'm talking to those of us who do believe it's God's willingness to heal, and still there's obstacles and there's challenges. That make it so unique and so fun. The point that we're making tonight is, I want us to think of a very practical sense of the challenge of healing. All right, so let's face it head on. How do you get God who is way up there to come to us way down here? Now, what's given us the challenge here is it concerns healing. When it concerns salvation, we can understand it better. I remember my first lesson in the Philippines. The first time I ever heard this concept preached was Michelle was talking to the Filipinos and they were talking about that and she was discussing the fact that the ants were all crawling over the side of this rock and they were falling off into the fire. And so this man got up and he was yelling at the ants and he was going, hey stupid ants or hey ants you quit falling off the fire. Every time you go over the side of the rock you're falling down to the fire. Now do you think that works when a man is shouting at the ants? I was watching Michelle preach this and the interpreters were going, what? You know, what are you saying? So anyway, they kept repeating what she had said over and over. And she added an anteater to it, was eating the rest of me. She had it all, you know, typical, adding a lot to the story. And finally, she said, as much as that man would shout at those ants, it wouldn't do any good. The same thing is true. God would shout at us and tell us, hey, keep out of sin, stay out of disobedience, don't eat the fruit. But we kept falling over the edge into the fire. So what was the answer to the ants? The man had to become an ant in order to speak to the ants. And that's incarnation. When God decided, as much as I'm shouting at them, you know, I've given them Moses, I've given them the law, I've given them covenants, and they still are not getting the picture, that was the concept that is God became man. And I think that's the concept tonight of the ultimate point of contact that we're going to talk about. That concept that a man can shout at ants all day long, and you can't get those ants to understand one word you're saying. They don't comprehend. The greater speaking to the lesser. In the same sense, that's what's true with healing. 
is that you've got up here where God is trying to get it through to us and we're going, why won't you do anything? Why are you not? And we're the ants falling off into the edge of the cliff. So I'll never forget that sermon that night. I've heard different varieties of that since then, but it still spoke to me. I still see the Filipinos firing the bottle rockets and the drunk ones throwing bottles down into us. And I, I just remember that sermon that night. Okay, so how do you get God who's way up there to come to us way down here? Okay, how do you get God's power to come into the person that you're praying for? All right, when your prayers don't seem to work, it's your point of contact that connects God's power to the person. Okay, is there anything that has been found to get our faith moving at times like this? On stubborn families, people that have a mundane life and you prayed for them forever, it takes a point of contact. We're talking about one guy, and he's always picking his nails, never worshiping, never ever moving. And you think, what kind of point of contact is it going to take for this guy to eventually just open his heart up and have intimacy with God? You know, their stubbornness are different things to keep someone from serving God for a long time. Well, I think of a point of contact in the New Testament with someone that just was going the wrong direction that claimed to be from God. Remember Paul? He got knocked off the horse. That was the ultimate point of contact. <laughs> you know, he was going along, he sees this light, and this voice comes out of heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's looking from the ground up saying, oh, what do you mean? So there's these sacred moments when God touches man. And he stops us right where we are, and he gets our attention, and that's a point of contact. You also have stubborn families. You have stubborn illnesses. You have things that are hard on bound-up people, undelivered people, unhealed people, unsaved people. God is all-powerful, loving, compassionate, and there's needy, praying people, and yet there's no change in their life. You have the combination of a loving, all-powerful God that has nothing that he's withholding from us. You have needy, praying people, and still... You have the problem, no change happening. So what's missing? Now, this is my demonstration. If y'all will pull forth the gun, the gun is what represents to me the concept of healing. Among people who believe in healing, this is what healing looks like in the church today to me. Right here. Pass it around. This is our gun. This represents healing. This is what God has provided. Pull back the trigger and fire. And the, and the bullet coming out of this right here, Jesse, <laughs> and the bullet coming out of that is the healing coming towards you and you receiving it. All right, so pull back the cock. Okay, fire the gun. All right, so that, so that people won't be nervous. Dover's is the only one who knows where I store it in my personals. But this is a Ruger, and I took the bullet out, of course, you know. But anyway, I was going to say, what you're doing here is you got caught. The hammer. Yeah, the hammer. Yeah. Hey, why does it not hold? It just doesn't. It just doesn't. Okay, when I pull the trigger, all of a sudden, if I had the bullet in here where we could demonstrate like killing a rat or something like that, we would have the, the concept. Y'all, this is what healing should look like. This is what healing looks like. Where'd the gun go? Okay, this is what healing looks like in the body of Christ. But this is what healing should look like. And what we're missing on every healing is a trigger. It's the point of contact. So always when I'm looking at a healing or something's not working, I'm thinking in my head, what's the trigger? What's the point? Because this is how we pray for healing most of the time. We pray for it without a trigger. We do nothing to point of contact it to bring it into effect. But 
when you're truly praying for one, the thing that fires the gun is this thing right here called the trigger. It's what makes that healing take off. So your gun can have a great looking stock, a nice barrel, a clip, a shiny cylinder, but a gun without a trigger is useless to fire a gun. The same way is without a point of contact, that is literally when I study the Bible and I look at what's happening today and I ask myself, why are we not getting the results? The one thing that it seems to stand out to me just forefront is the fact that we don't use triggers. We don't use points of contact. So anyway, the trigger is what fires the gun. It's what does business. Okay, now let's talk about this in regards to heaven. Every healing in the Bible used a point of contact. I cannot name a healing. I can't hardly name anything that came from heaven to earth that doesn't have a, a point of contact, a trigger to it. It isn't that the church doesn't have healing. It doesn't have contact points. And it's contact points that we see on every page of the gospel. All right, have you ever had a light bulb in a closet and the string has broken off and you can't reach it? Have you ever gone up there and there's a light bulb and you're sitting there trying to pull it and there's no string? <laughs> you know? Okay, I'm going to have you look for the string. Maybe girls like that analogy better. Look for the string on the light bulb. Guys, look for the trigger in the gun. All right, let's go through these. On healing, I've counted a total of 12 different points of contact just from the healing ministry of Jesus alone. And most churches only do one point of contact. When they pray for the sick or someone's sick, churches, oh, they applaud themselves if they do one. Oh, we're a real, real active church on healing. We do one point of contact. And actually, I've counted 12 in the ministry of Jesus. And I don't think we're improving on Jesus. I just think we're slothful. You know, or we're not pressing in or something. Okay, let's go through these. In Mark 8, 23, it was laying on of hands that caused the healing. In Matthew 8, 8, he spoke the word and healing came. In Luke 4, 39, he rebuked the fever. So he spoke directly to the, the illness. He didn't speak to the person. It's that Matthew 8 concept that's so strong. The guy goes, well, Jesus, you wouldn't even have to come to my house. You could just speak the word. And I tell soldiers to do what all the time, and they do what it is. And Jesus didn't take that, oh, you're slot machining God. You're telling God what to do, commanding him? No. The guy had a concept. Jesus commanded a sickness. He told the sickness what to do, and the sickness obeyed him. Or Jesus could tell demonic spirits what to do, and the demonic spirit obeyed him. You're not commanding God. My gosh. <laughs> that is not arrogance. That's stupidity. I mean, honestly, do you think anybody honestly thinks they're commanding God to do anything? Because the guy said, don't bother to even have to come to my village. And Jesus was like, oh my gosh, great faith. Because I don't even have to walk there. This guy honestly believes I can speak from here and it's going to happen there in another village. And Jesus goes, this is the greatest faith I've seen. Well, he was commenting on the concept that the command issue is that Jesus has authority over every demonic spirit. Jesus has authority over every sickness. Command? Yes. But you're commanding the problem. So that guy had an unbelievable concept. And, of course, Jesus applauded him and said, no one in Israel has had this great of faith because you figured out that just like a soldier would boss somebody under him, that sickness is to Jesus. Just obey. 
without question. So anyway, point of contact here. Luke 17, 14, one way the guy got healed was go show yourselves to the priest, which I thought was fabulous. It doesn't say that he was healed until somewhere along the way that he went to show himself to the priest. Leprosy. You know, because they weren't supposed to come around people of contact of any way, and they sure weren't supposed to come in contact with the priest. Uh So it was a point of faith to go turn yourself in to the religious leaders and claim that you were healed. And it hadn't, it transpired somewhere on the, on the trip. Mark 6, 13, I always wanted to Jesus anoint with oil. You know, you have that concept in James, you have it in Acts. But in Mark 6, 13, it showed that they anointed people with oil and healing came. So, you know, don't let people abuse things. Like I've always told you, you're going to see a thousand people get crazy with this stuff. They might have the motive of money. I don't care if the whole world does it wrong. What have we said in here? You do it right. And don't you dare let somebody steal a good scripture out of your Bible just because there's so many abuses. There's things abused all the time that are great stuff. You do it God's way. You do it with the right kind of heart. Don't let someone steal these scriptures from you of anointing with oil. Maybe the reason there's so many abuses and so much counterfeit is there's not enough of the real stuff. You know, I think that's sometimes why so many people go to witchcraft and horoscopes is because there's no true stuff like prophecy and, and people are able to hear God's voice. So anyway, I'm challenging you on that. Another one was Mark 9, 20, touch the fringe. You've got Matthew 14, 36 to add with that. John 9, 6. Now these are really strange points of contact. You can see why we've given these up. But really to put mud in somebody's eye. I mean, really, y'all. That one just amazes me. And then when you think about how he made the mud, that is in Mark 8.23, he spit in their eyes in Mark 8.23. Now, when people are worried because they've got an eye that you have ever seen blindness, it looks terrible. To add mud to that doesn't seem very hygienic. Yes, that doesn't sound like, let's put a little infection in there, too. Let's add a little mud to your trauma. Okay, this is where I'm going to tell you this Bible study is challenging to me because you better get them healed or there's a lawsuit. (laughs) I mean, at this point. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And if there's not a lawsuit and you're just in a jungle somewhere, you're still going to look like a fool. (laughs) And so I think a lot dies at this moment, and it's called death to self. That's probably why we don't do healing. It's because a large part of your ego has to totally walk a tightrope with the Lord. And it, it is. And this is where I'm going to advise you very strongly. And I thought I'm going to revisit some concepts. But something that's so good, you're not at that moment trying to convince God to heal. If you are, you haven't done your prayer homework before. You haven't got yourself established. You pray enough during the nighttime or early in the morning, and by the time you do stuff during the day, it just obeys you because your prayer, you're already established. Whatever comes against me today, I have enough faith for it to handle it during the day hours. There's going to be no problem come towards me today that is so big, my mustard seed of faith can't move this mountain. So you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I forgot to pray this morning. I was doing so-and-so, and I'm going to catch up on my prayer life, and... So therefore, we have these long, elaborate prayers and really looking at it. And the reason they don't work is we're trying to work our faith up. We're trying to, oh, let's get prayed up. 
if prayer wasn't important, why did Jesus spend all night doing it? If anybody could have taken the shortcut. So a lot of why we're not seeing the results that Jesus did is he already had his spirit settled on the issue of healing before he ever went out and laid hands on one person. So I'm not telling you to just start picking up mud and thinking mud's going to have any healing properties and you're going to talk God into it while it's on their eyes. That's not how it works. You've got to have in your spirit that God in heaven has compassion for that person. He loves them. And I'm going to be acting in obedience to God's word. And God's spirit will come on the scene when I command. That spirit has to obey me and it has to leave that person. So anyway, now we're getting into the good ones. Mark seven thirty-three. He gives him a wet willy. I mean, I'm looking at this. He stuck his fingers in his ear and healing came. I mean, really, y'all, to see Jesus do some of these, these are great. John 9, 7, he used the name and approach of dipping in the river. Acts 3, 7, it gives me the uh, goosebumps. He grabbed him by the hand and he pulled him up. If you've got somebody that's crippled and you grab them by the hand, they need to be healed by the time they hit their feet. <laughs> Otherwise, you've got two problems on your hands. <laughs> You're going to be thinking that the power of God is needing to hit them at that point. You know, we talked about the Siggy Horde this year when I looked at that guy and suddenly there was no doubt in me this guy was going to walk. He'd been two years in that fetal position because he'd breathed too much of that gas on that ship and literally at that point that faith comes on you where you know that you know that you know that you know and you're not talking God into it in your head that's what you work out in your prayer time ahead of time that I'm established in the fact of God's will today that his power will work through me and it's his will because he loves his, his kids these are not healing is not theological issues as long as you're still in debate mode, you're still on your college campus dealing with your professors and you're debating. That's not how healing comes about. That's not where you see Jesus performing it. You see Jesus performing it among childlike people that had childlike faith where he was demonstrating the love of God for them. So healing is, a, is an issue of compassion. So anyway, just in your heart, these are things that you need to have settled you know, I told you that time when all the Muslims were on the Capitol, I think it was last year, and just praying until those love pockets started hitting me for them because I had other ideas in mind for the Muslims. And when I kept praying, then suddenly I started sensing pockets of compassion for them. And so when we went witnessing, we were just handing out tracts and books and things to the ones we felt the compassion just well up inside of us. And that's how you will with healing. You'll just... You'll feel the compassion of God just well up inside of you. It's not sympathy. I don't know. It's real clean feeling. Uh, Acts 3, 7 is the one where he grabbed him by the hand. He yanked him up. Matthew 26, 51, he put the ear back on. Yeah. And that's the closest I can come to. You know, you don't see one of where Jesus grew a missing arm back on. You know, there's some you do see and some you don't see. I'm sure if it had happened, they would have recorded that one because they seem to record the most sensational, shocking ones. But putting the ear back on is pretty close to that concept that he just reached down and he put it back on him. I like that one. And the other ones didn't record that. Only John did. So it does show they did leave it out because John's was the one written you know, the furthest out. The apostles, Acts 5.15 is interesting. 
They used a concept that Jesus didn't use, and they used shadows healing. So anyway, that shows you that there's points of context that literally were being developed even past you know what Jesus had shown us. Acts 19.12 is handkerchiefs. I've known people have somebody in their family that's just not serving the Lord, and they'll go anoint it with oil, and they'll put a handkerchief under their pillow. And they'll have a lot of people praying. Yeah, the power of God will hit that person. That's been done to you. i got to be proud of it. I mean, it's the trigger. It's, I'm not just going to let this person keep just walking out there in la-la land, not living for the Lord. It's time. And you put your faith on it. And I don't know what about the point of contact puts the explosion. You know, it'd be like having a cannon without a fuse to light. These points of contact actually light these. Okay, healing, deliverance. In Matthew 8, 16, deliverance didn't seem to have the point of context that healing does. It seemed like in Matthew 8, 16, he did it with a word. And these look like a epilepsy, deaf and dumb, the lady bent over. He just spoke to them. So with demons, it just was a point of contact of the spoken word because his word does not return void. It just it goes out. Then you've got uh, spoke and touched. You'll hear people say, oh, don't touch them if they have demons. You'll, you'll read a thousand theories. I get so tickled. People don't stay very much on the word. They'll stay on their own personal opinion. You know, the legion and the guy in the synagogue. Yeah, see, Dovers didn't pick up anything from John Jr. then. Okay, supernatural events. These are the odds and ends miracles. I've never seen anyone who operates in many of these that are missing points of contact. We had a guy... He was in our home church in Fort Worth, but a truck fell on his head when he was underneath it, and it took a chunk of his head out. And they had the chunk of his head. Did they take it? They went and found it. But by the time they got to the hospital, it had all grown, it had all grown back. And his ministry followed that. He, he had miracles that happened, and they were like chunks of heads that grew. I mean, I just every story he told, I was just like... But it's just kind of, if you come from a real wild salvation experience, it will probably follow. Those are the type that will follow you because you have faith for those. So supernatural events, when they won the war, instead of using guns with triggers, they just blew trumpets. Now that makes a lot of sense. Broke pictures, you know. But it was a point of contact. When they needed tax money, go fishing. Cross the water. One time they strike with a, a rod. One time they with a cloak. One time they actually stepped in. They needed water. I can't get my. It's just Moses striking the rocks. How I wrote it, speaking to the rock. Lost something they had borrowed. Now, if somebody came to me and said, "Oh, I borrowed this axe, and the axe head flew in the water," what would we do? You remember what Elijah did? He made the axe head float by cutting a stick and throwing it to the water. Points of contact are sometimes ridiculous. And I think that gives God more glory. They're just, they don't make a lot of sense to your mind. They have nothing to do with the situation. If they had something to do with the situation, people would think, oh, they didn't raise them from the dead, they resuscitated them. I mean, they, God makes them where they're shocking. But they release your faith. Elisha cured the impure water with salt in 2 Kings 2.20, and it says he healed the water. It's probably the use of that word, you know, like in the, in the Greek, which that's Hebrew, but in the Greek, you know, sozo means healing, delivering. It, it's just funny how these words are so rich. 
that lady couldn't have children, prophesied to her that she would have children. Usually by this time next year is what they'll say. Second Kings 4.16. Jesus imparted a blessing to children. Remember he says that they laid hands on the children and he'd touch them? You need to consider that, that when little kids come up to you, that you're imparting a blessing on them, that you're laying hands on them, that you're touching them. That that's actually a point of contact that's having faith. And you don't see many people doing these sort of things, but you wonder, what would that kid's life be without that? You know, sometimes have you prayed for something for that kid where, like sometimes I'm praying that, that no evil will ever touch them, like where they'll be protected and harm won't come. Jesus imparting the Holy Spirit. How did he do that? I'm curious. Oh, he breathes on them. Now that sounds a little... Hmm. Did he breathe like from here to there? He breathed over his whole crowd? Did he go individually breathe in their face? I don't know, but that one... We just skip over that little verse and we think, ooh, that, that people talk about. That sounds like somebody on TV that people talk about. It's just... These are odd points of contact. Jesus stopped the storm by speaking peace be still. The plague that wouldn't stop, they used the bronze serpent. Poison food made harmless with flour. 2 Kings 4, 38. Snake bite, Paul just shook it off in the fire. Now on raising the dead, what kind of points of contacts were used? I found eight to nine of them. Okay, how dead were they? Well, they were fairly dead. Or they were partly dead. Or they were all dead. You know, you see different times in the Bible. There's ten counting Jesus and three in the book of Revelation. You find different number counts on it. And that kind of answers your question, Drew. It seems with healing, he just has said he healed them all. But with raising the dead, there's three or four named in this ministry. You may have done a few more. But it wasn't as common as he did on the, on the healing. So I think that's when that gift of faith comes on you. But 1 Kings 17, 19 through 21, 2 Kings 4 through 29, both Elijah and Elisha used the same technique of raising the dead. They stretched their body out on them. 2 Kings 13, 21, <laughs> Elisha's body was just white bones. He had been in there a while. The guy was already thrown in a grave. He landed on a bones. The guy didn't even, he wasn't even buried yesterday. The guy comes back from the dead. That is great. I mean, he had deteriorated to the point he was bones. Oh, my gosh, that is great. That is anointed to the bone. Okay. I think what's funny about First Kings, where they stretch their body out on the dead person, it's Numbers 19.11 that forbids you to touch the dead. So you got to like these. What's dead to the world is not dead to us. And I always had this saying, don't speak death over something you plan on raising. Jesus, you never heard him say they're dead. He would say, they only sleep. And that got everybody cracked up. And then he'd throw them all out. (laughs) But, you know, with Jesus, there was a sense of he used his words to speak life. You don't ever see him speaking death over them. In Luke 7, 11 through 17, stopped a procession. Spoke the word arise. With Jairus' daughter and Luke, it says he took her by the hand and he called her back. And he told her spirit come back into her. John eleven forty three, he goes, Lazarus, come forth. Oh. So that was powerful. Acts nine forty, Peter with Tabitha, he used to rise. Acts twenty seven, Paul restored Eutychus who fell out the window by embracing him. So it looks like Paul laid on him. 
Paul beat for and left for dead. They just got in a circle around him and they prayed and he jumped up and started ministering elsewhere. And then you got the raising of the dead in Matthew 27, 52, which is unlimited people came out of the graves on this one. So you can't even count them. So faith release. These are not random touches. How do you find the right point of contact? You know, if it works, continue. Healing lines, there's low percentages of points of contact. It just seems like we've gotten real mechanical with this. So I'm just saying, if you find something that just you've got your faith on, God's put it in your heart. But if you're finding that it's not working, you can't seem to get God's power down into the person that, that you feel the compassion for, that's where I'm saying just find your trigger for it. 2 Kings 4, 29-32 is a man that looked for a point of contact. He looked for the trigger and he couldn't find it. Would you have ever thought of Elijah having a hard time figuring out how to raise the dead? Elisha, I mean. Would you ever think of Elijah struggling with, how do I get this guy raised from the dead? You see him trying out three different points of contacts. And when the first one didn't work, he didn't rewrite God's call and just say, well, God didn't will this person to get raised from the dead. The first time we have something that doesn't work, usually we, if the minute we see somebody sick, we go, it's God's will. These guys, you know, usually the first time you pray and it doesn't work, you say it's not God's will. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing them try different points of contact. This one's hysterical. Verse 31, he tells Gehazi, go lay my rod on the guy. And Gehazi comes running all the way back to him and says, I didn't, it didn't work. And so Elijah didn't say, honey, your, your son's already dead and it's for a purpose and he's in God's bouquet in heaven and, you know, go through this thing that God needed him somehow. I mean, he didn't seem to do that. But you see him try two things. He goes to him. He returns into the house. He shuts the door. He walks backwards and forth and he prays. He stretches out on him. And it says that he prayed... He laid on him mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Guess what happened when he did that to the guy? The guy's been dead for a while because remember she rode her donkey quite a ways. And then Gehazi had to run back and forth a few times. Okay, the prophet goes in. He stretches on him. Okay, you got to picture this in your mind. Mouth to mouth. (laughs) Eyes to eyes. So, I mean, can you imagine if you woke from the dead and there's Elijah's eyes beating into yours? I mean, you got a picture of this. And hands to hand. I mean, eyeball to eyeball. I, if I woke up and Jacob Kieran was laying on me, eyeball to eyeball, I, I mean, that could wake you from the dead. You know what that point of contact did? It said it warmed him up. Warmed the body up. It didn't raise it from the dead. It just warmed it up. You gotta read that story. We don't read it practically because we don't ever plan on having to do it. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know my uncle is a dentist here, and when my cousin was thrown (coughs) off the horse and it it beat in the you know her brain that said cracked you know her head like an egg, he felt like that the Lord told him to lay on top of Julie. Well, the great thing is you're in Abilene, and the nurses' station's right there by her bed. Yeah, I see you. So, you know, when you see a father start climbing on top of his daughter with all those tubes on there, you don't think you have one problem. You think you got two. (laughs) And he did it. And seven days later, a girl that wasn't going to live through the night that you couldn't recognize with her hair matted. My dad, twice on the way there, she died in the ambulance. And dad felt it in his car and commanded life into her. 
seven days later walks out of the hospital. You know, they'd said, well, she's dead. Well, well she, maybe she's not dead. Maybe she's a vegetable. And then seven days later when they did, they go, well, at least she's going to be deaf. And we're thinking, well, if God said this, what, you know, and seven days later when everyone else was in rehab or dead, she walked out. Y'all, this is where I'm telling you, this is where it gets crazy. This is where we can say all day long, we believe the Bible, we believe in healing. And I think Jesus looks at us and says, do you? Hmm. You know, uh, that's why we go to safe points of contact. <laughs> uh, or go to a foreign country. That's why we go to foreign countries. Okay. I had to love the testimony last night. Did you hear, John, over and over, the ringing words were, I knew I was leaving tomorrow. I knew I was leaving tomorrow. Forget what it does to this person's faith <laughs> or life. I'm leaving. I'm getting the heck out of Dodge, and I don't ever have to come back here. I mean, it was just like, I'll try these points of contacts out, and there's maybe a little truth to it, you know. Of, uh, okay, practice on your children. All right. So at this point, he, he warmed up. But Elisha redoes it. He looks for a third point of contact when it didn't work. I mean, hand-to-hand, eyeball-to-eyeball. Mouth to mouth, he returned to the house, and he walked back and forth, and he prayed. And it says he stretched out on him, and the guy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. So I guess he did get that eyeball-to-eyeball look. I know there's some odd things that they'll tell what happens when they come back from the dead. Now, you say, well, that's because with man it's partial because we only have partial ability to heal or partial power coming down from heaven. Y'all, the humblest scripture in the Bible on this issue is Mark 8.22. This one blows you out of the water. This is the blind man. Jesus leads the guy out of town, which is, I think, it's interesting that Mark captured that. He lays hands on the guy, and he spits on him. Those are your points of contact. Trigger, trigger, trigger. All right, at that point, the man instantly receives sight well enough that you know how some people can see light and darkness. This guy went from not seeing to being able not only to see light and darkness, but he would see men as trees walking. So in other words, he was seeing objects move. I mean, it's incredible amount of healing took place. The guy didn't say anything to Jesus about it. And Jesus, in his humility... This just shocks me. He says, did it work? Can you see? Now, let's quit thinking compassionately or however you want to look at that. Let's think of this from theology. God is all-powerful. We have the concept that if God wills something, it automatically happens. Why did it take Jesus twice? So I'm going to say to you, why get so frustrated with yourself if it takes you twice? (laughs) And so at that point, Jesus redoes it again. I mean, you don't see in Jesus this superiority of sovereignty the way we see it. Well, if God wills it, it will happen that way. You don't see that with him. You see him praying, it not being a complete healing, him not saying, well, we'll stop right there, give it a rest. God's teaching you something. We'll come back to this later. You don't have faith. Jesus takes responsibility chooses another point of contact and thinks if it's worked this good, wow, let's do it again. It's just a real, I have to like the Jewish ideas. But I do like the fact that if they were just, they wanted healing. They didn't get into theology of thinking God didn't want it too. They were like, we want it. 
And Jesus approaches that with the same concept of success in there as being a total healing. So I think this is marvelous when Jesus kept on with the same point of contact again. He laid hands on him again. And there's one little thing added. He told him, look up this time. And the guy could see. Smith Wigglesworth would often pray all night long before he would ever go and pray over him. And so you'll see the concept here of lots of prayer here and then just a short amount here. And so for some reason, if you want to say whatever way you want to write your theology here is, they just kept doing points of contact until they got it. How come it took Jesus to? I cannot even explain it. Because he is all power. If he said something, it should have worked instantly like a trigger. But there seems to be something in the wiring. I mean, he's God manifest standing there. Okay, steps to a point of contact. Having that tenacity of, okay, I'll just take the roof off <laughs> to get to them. You know, too many people in there, I'm not going to say, well, it's not God's will. I'll come back at another time. Too many people. It's like, tear the roof off the house. If you'd ask your mother, should I tear the roof off? She would tell you no. <laughs> now, you know, it's funny with the tenacity you see in these. Leviticus 15, 19 through 20, it was unclean. She was breaking the law to come out of her separation. She was supposed to be staying in the tent. People that are legalists don't get healed. If she had been saying, well, legally, the Bible tells me that I, shouldn't, I should stay in my tent, they don't get healed. It takes a real rash person of ripping the roof off and asking questions later. It's that John Wayne approach, <laughs> you know. I'll shoot them all and let God separate them out, you know. Yeah, it, it's really just kind of a, I don't know, it's just real simple faith. Mark 5.25 says, Many doctors had failed, and she got worse. So she was in no man's land. Nothing was helping, but she set the time in faith to release her healing. Now, what's so shocking about this, this is a point of contact that the person came up with. Who comes up with the point of contact? You. You pull the trigger. God has provided the gun, the bullet, the power, the... You know, he has gone to unbelievable lengths to restore us back to what we had in the, in the garden. We messed it up. You know, he came in the scene and he fixed it. But it's shocking to me, this, especially thinking through this one, the power went out of him and the healing occurred, and he worked backwards to determine who touched him. So it was kind of like everything triggered off, and then he's like, who fired the gun? <laughs> who did this? Who pulled the trigger? And so it was kind of working backwards on this issue. It wasn't Jesus' idea. It was hers. So who does the point of contact? Sometimes the minister. Sometimes the one being ministered to. I don't see Jesus getting mad on this situation. He wasn't conscious of who initiated. Why? Because Jesus was focused on someone else's healing. Something had happened to her. Something had happened to him which is interesting when you think of those things combining in verse 30. Who touched me? The disciples thought it was a stupid question, but he wanted to make personal contact with her. So he gives her a go in peace, a shalom blessing. Be freed from your suffering. Jesus wanted active participation in her healing, and it was confirmation of God's will to make her well. He didn't do it. He didn't pull the trigger. It wasn't his idea. It wasn't his point of contact. But he stopped the thing till he could make the healing be a part of his active participation. 
And then by saying, Shalom, peace be to you, he confirmed this was God's will, even though it was not my upfront will. <laughs> I mean, how do you mix the divinity of Christ and the humanity in this scene? This is just shocking to me of him asking, who touched me? But I think it's in your Bible to show you this doesn't seem to offend God. The only time you see God mad is when you don't show faith and you aren't pulling on him. And you do go to other sources than him first. Or you can find a hundred other examples in Scripture, but that seems to be how we have rewritten our concept of healing. I don't know. But there's some shocking things in here where where basically it, it seems to be as simple as its points of contact. The funniest thing of all is, this is where I think I would have lost it, in Mark 6.36. Here you have in Mark 5.25, she gets healed. In Mark 6.56, when everybody heard about it, what did they start doing? It said, just like you little rugrats. They all started the ministry of touching his hem. It just started it everywhere. Copycat healings. She stole one, we're going to get one too that way. <laughs> and so you're seeing more just touch the fringe and then it says how does the author write it well as many as touched got healed I'm just not seeing the resistance of Jesus in this the point of contact worked so everybody copied that one so if it works just do it you know rip the <laughs> ceilings off or invent you a new one that just it's something about the lady said 12 years of being sick I'm calling it that 12 years too many it's stopping today. Today, when he passes by, I'm going to get a hold of him when he doesn't know it. <laughs> so I've never seen this type of connection before. To try to get healed without a contact point is trying to fire your gun without a trigger. And so many people just want to osmosis along in life and God just strike them with a healing. And it's just, it's like moving along in life with nothing that stimulates faith or puts a demand on it or calls it into account right at that moment. That's what a point of contact does. It says, here and now, today's the salvation. I'm going home, back to my house today, healed. And it's that kind of tenacity in your faith. You know, great miracles, points of contact. You're going to see these all through Scripture. Understanding the significance of a contact. We're scared to let miracles create faith in us. In Matthew 14, 3 through 12, John the Baptist doubted, and Jesus' answer to him was, look at the miracles. John 3, 2, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he says, the reason I'm coming to you at night is, teacher, nobody could do the miracles you're doing. John 20, 27, be not unbelieving, but be believing because of the miracles. John 9, 30 through 33, a sinner cannot do the things that Jesus did. John 14, 11, if you don't believe me, this one is crazy, then believe the miracles. He separated out from it and said, if you don't believe I'm the right one, then at least believe the miracles I'm doing. So you can find as many Bible verses that are pro because we get nervous around signs going, oh, we shouldn't seek for a sign and an adulterous evil generation seeks for a sign. Yeah, that's true. We're carnal enough to do it. But somehow he goes, well, stupid, if I'm going to give signs, at least believe them. Or, or sorry, don't mean stupid. Uh, you perverted, adulterous generation, if I'm going to give them, at least believe them. I mean, you have Jesus, you know, he goes, if you don't believe me, at least believe the miracles. There are lights out here. They're telling you. Y'all, this generation needs a manifest presence of Jesus on it. 
And I think how it's looking in history, if I can guess, is when Jesus came on the scene the first time, lots of miracles. Then the church kind of theologically healing dies out. The Bible, we lose the word of God. It's no longer in the hands of the people. It's resurrected back into the hands of people. And then right before his coming again, you're going to see a lot of miracles break out. It just seems to be centered around the person of Jesus and that manifestation. So unusual points of contacts. You have anointing with oil, filling up pots of water, shadows, handkerchiefs, and aprons. You have Acts 19.12, someone standing in proxy. There's unpleasant points of contacts that are tests of obedience in John 9, 5-6, mud pies. He says, I'm the light of the world. The practical application is, is this passage meaning spiritually I'm the light of the world or physically? We were all going to say it means it's spiritually. But when you're blind, it doesn't seem like it would be a good thing to just tell someone you're the light of the world without acting on it. And so therefore he puts mud in the guy's eyes and tells him to go wash. And he walked there blind but came back seeing. 2 Kings 5, 1 through 9 was Naaman saying go dip in the river. And Naaman was like, aren't there good rivers in my country? Why would I go get into that muddy Jordan River? Why can't? And his servant goes, hey. If you'd ask you something big, wouldn't you have done it? Why are you stumbling over this? So you can see Naaman going into the water once, <coughs> twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. You, you feel the faith begin to rise up. And, and then when he comes out of the water, his skin's like a baby. God doesn't, he's not like a, a magician that uses nothing and a magician's poof, wow, you got it. He gives us something like where you have something to work with an actual firing gauge. He comes up out of that water a healed man. Water baptism is a point of obedience. It's a point of contact. You know, we hear it described a thousand ways. You've got churches that believe it's essential to churches that believe it's symbolic, but in a lot of ways it's a point of contact of saying it's the picture of Jesus going into the ground, being crucified, and coming back out of the water. It's my point of contact that when I go into that water, I'm dead to myself, and I'm confessing Christ openly. And it brings a resurrected side out of you. I think that's why water baptism is important for people. You don't get the same out of sprinkling. You don't get the same out of not doing it. It's a point of contact here of obedience. I'll tell you something interesting. BSM, we had a guy in our crossliners. I know you all think you are the only crossliners we've ever had. And, you know, there's echoes of people in the past. You know, they're, they're always asking me, do, do you love these more than you love us? That's always the question we get of... Uh, they're sounding more spiritual than we did, you know. Or again, the, the kids are still saying, send us the CDs, or they'll say, Angie, we're just checking to make sure you're not handing them old stuff. You better be giving them fresh stuff. Or we're checking your theology out to make sure you're not getting soft or teaching repeats. And, you know, so you get all this going. And then they're always hoping their name will be somewhere in there. Even if it's a bad example of their, something t- terrible they did, they just want to be immortalized forever on one of these. But, you know, I was thinking Greg Fargo. You might not have heard that name, but BSM. They went down to the border towns of Mexico, and this guy in his late 80s, old, old little Mexican man, he was blind, and he came forward at their BSM revival, and he got saved. And, you know, I don't know if you are like me, but I like seeing them get saved when they're old because they're about to die and not know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's just, you know, talk about a work of grace and just, that's why sometimes I go to nursing homes to get people saved because I worry about people going into eternity and not knowing Jesus. Well, anyway, that Catholic, he wanted to follow the Lord in baptism, but it wasn't what he thought. They put him in the dipping tank. 
<laughs> so BSM is all around them, and they've got a guitar player like Jonathan, and they're worshiping God and singing praise songs. And they take the guy into the dipping pool, and they put the old man under. And when they pulled the old man out of the water, all of a sudden, this blind guy is doing this with his hands. He's cupping the water in his hands. And he keeps doing this over and over. And what happened is he went down into that water pit blind. This was HPU BSM. And he came out of that water pit seeing. That miracle should have been on the front page of our newspaper. But they said what was happening is for hours they just kept worshiping. Everybody, no, no dries. Everybody's crying. But his sensory perception, because he had never seen in his whole life, he couldn't take it in. It hurt to see too much at once. So the most he could do is see what water looked like on his hands. So he spent hours, they said, dipping into the water and looking. Because when he looked up, it just it overpowered him. And I thought, isn't that God? Point of contact of obedience, of the man going down in there blind, coming up seeing. Points of contact take his guts. Acts 3, 3 through 9 is the one where there was a guy by Gate Beautiful. He's asking for money, and you know what they say. Peter and John say, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Then point of contact time. And seasoning by the arm, they yanked the crippled guy up. And as he's flying through the air, thank the Lord, he came down a whole man. And the guy went running and leaping and praising the Lord. And I bet he did because he wasn't expecting to be yanked up. He was asking for money. And uh, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I think you get so shocked you get healed. So they seized him by the hand. And, you know, the Lord just was faithful and delivered. This is where I find this Bible study real intimidating. And I just say, always look at the Lord. Increase my faith. Just increase my faith on this. You know, I don't want to do anything where I'm walking out on my own. But if I should walk out on my own, treat me like the woman touching your robe, Lord. Treat me like the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm acting in faith on you. All right, can points of contact become corrupt? Uh-huh. In Deuteronomy 18.10, points of contact can become a good luck charm. You know, I was talking to state school kids, and I said, they all had, wore these necklaces, St. Andrews or something. I don't know what they wore. And I said, let me tell you a story to see if Psalm 91 is becoming an amulet to you or a, a good look charm. I said, your dad had this necklace made in World War II, and in combat, while you're wearing it around your neck, it flies off. And the state school boys groaned. I said, what will happen if, if the necklace flies off? They go, you'll die. And I said, then you're superstitious. Because you're trusting in the, you know, in those guys. Oh, my gosh, we got a ways to go. You know, the Church of the Black Nazarene, where they get its name, it's right there in Manila. There's this big burned Jesus that has gone through this fire. And so they took him when he burned, and they put him in a coffin, and they put his legs sticking out. And you go touch a tumor against his legs sticking out there, and you'll be healed. And people get on their knees and they crawl to it. We used to do lots of toy maker and son in front of the Church of the Black Nazarene. And it came from him being in a fire and they making superstition around it. It's not a point of contact. You know, you'll see the same thing take place in Numbers 21.7. It said, here, put a snake on the pole and you look to that pole and you'll be instantly healed. 
And then in 2 Kings 18.4, it says they started worshiping the point of contact. <laughs> they started worshiping that snake on the pole. So you're going to have to not be focusing. Even though I'm telling you, look for a trigger, it's not a superstitious thing that causes a healing. It's not something where you get so intent that you're focusing on your point of contact. You're focusing on the Lord. And the Lord will just tell you. He'll tell you what the trigger is. He'll tell you what to do. It's really quite smooth. You can tell when people do it wrong. It's like they're striving with God. Something feels wrong. Or you see people passive. I don't like either of them. But when you see someone in faith with a point of contact, it may scare you. But it really, you can feel the Spirit of the Lord. You're like, whoa! I mean, God just showed himself. I mean, he just showed off. And I mean, it's just one of those great miracles. So the ultimate point of contact, I would write your last one down, is John 3, 14 through 15. And it's when the curse and the cure are met together. Jesus said, just like that snake was hung on a, a pole, I'm just like that. And I will be the standard lifted up. It's when the curse and the cure come together at once. So there's great points of contact between the cross and you. The Lord's Supper is one of them. If you're bored with the Lord's Supper and you're trying to sit there and get all your sins repented of and not be worried, you know, you quit using the, the point of contact that the, the Lord's Supper is the moment for Jesus' blood and his flesh to meet with you. I mean, that's your point of contact. It's a great thing between heaven and earth. One young woman, Doreen Terrell, was healed through both the laying on of hands and communion. Doreen had a cervical spondylosis, sclerosis, and she had arthritis, yes. And she had a cyst on the end of her spine and a lump at the base of her neck. And her back was caved in. That's all that was wrong with her. Doreen went to a crusade, and when hands were placed on her, she released her faith in God, and all the pain left her body. But her physical appearance, however, was unchanged. The following Sunday, after taking communion, her spine snapped back into place, and her healing was complete. So you're seeing these double, you know, these kind of issues of, wow, my sight has returned to the point that I'm seeing men uh, as trees walking. I've got... But then you see him come to a, a second point. Y'all, these are great points of contact. This gets me excited again. That's why I'm not sitting in communion board. You know, God's meeting with me. You know, I'm not into some symbolic superstition. I'm into the fact that Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Otherwise, you'll not have no life in you. It's a great point of contact that he recommended for us to have. I mean, there's power in, in that moment. So, only some who would look and believe were healed by that snake. Those who did not look and believe died. So, people, the same thing is happening today without that initial heaven and earth touching, which I think that's such a great thing. Of, it was put up on a pole and you look at the cross, it's symbolic of vertical and horizontal, that you see heaven and earth meeting. That's that point of contact between you and earth. So your points of contact might be reading your Bible, claiming a scripture verse, taking communion, praying for somebody, giving something, sowing into somebody, or it could be something that we named, which are more challenging. But I think the reason that Jesus got the results he did is he never got mechanical on his points of contact. He was constantly seeking the Lord for, how do we do this one, Lord? And it kept it fresh and alive where I think we're getting kind of passive and mechanical and we're missing out on that dynamic, fresh relationship with the Lord of going, okay, Lord, how do we do this one? How do we release our faith? Amen.